Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again today. Another day where we get to gather as the family of God and celebrate what He's doing among us and celebrate what He has to teach us and just to worship Him because He is worthy. Uh, And so if you guys want to um, turn in your Bible somewhere, you could turn to John chapter 6 for now. We're going to get there in a little bit, but I'm going to prepare you. That's where we're going to spend some time as well. And so John chapter 6. And and for those of you just gathering with us for the first time in this series, what we've been doing these last couple weeks is, is looking at the mission of the gospel. And what we've been examining is how does the story of the gospel become our story and send us on the mission that Jesus has for us and that God has called us to. And what we've been examining specifically is different aspects of the mission in our lives and how it brings restoration to the world around us as we live faithful lives to Jesus. And the relationship we're going to talk about this morning that has restoration because of the gospel is restoration with self. And what I'm talking about specifically this morning is how the gospel really infuses our life with a meaning and a purpose that is not found anywhere else apart from God. And really it's addressing the question, why do I exist? Has anyone ever asked that question? Why do I even exist? Why am I even in this world? Like, what is the purpose and meaning of life? Like, what am I supposed to live for? It's, it's what we call existential questions, questions about greater purpose and meaning beyond ourselves. And, and the question we often ask is, does anything I'm doing actually even matter? Has anyone had some frustration in life at times where you're just like, why am I even doing this? Does this even make a difference? And we have these massive questions of why in our life. We have these questions of what is the point of this. We have the questions of why am I struggling through this? And, and we can look at it from many different perspectives. Uh, we can go through life and we can perhaps have a job where we're working really hard and, and accomplishing great things and no one gets noticing what you're doing. Anyone ever have that with a boss or an employee before? And we wonder, why am I even doing this? Or perhaps you have children and you're trying to guide your children or your teenagers and they're just not listening to you. And you just say, why am I even doing this? It's accomplishing nothing. Or or maybe you have a relationship or a marriage and you're struggling in it and you're investing all this time and energy, but maybe your spouse isn't doing the same. And you say, what is this accomplishing? Why am I doing this? Or maybe in your relationship with God, you're trying to serve God and you're trying to be faithful and you're trying to do all these things, but no matter what you're doing, life continues just to go wrong and be painful and chaotic. You say, what's the point of even doing this? And so what we come into equation with is, why do I even do anything at all? What is the purpose and meaning behind life. 
Now, what I find fascinating, when you go to a place like Bible study tools, have you guys ever learned like online Bibles and you can Google Bibles? There's a few that are really popular. And the two major ones are what's called Bible Gateway and Bible Study Tools. And, and each year they sort of do an equation of what are the most popular verses that are looked up. And, and one of the most popular verses looked up in, in all these um, formats is guess what? Does anyone know? Jeremiah 29.11, which says what? Yeah, for I know the plans, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And that's the most popular verse looked up online. And, and, I, and the, the, there's a second one that's extremely like it, and it, and it comes from Romans 8.28, and it says, And we know that in all things God works good to those who love them, who have been called according to His what? Purpose. And, and when we realize that these are some of those popular verses out there, what we realize is that we as humans have a deep longing for purpose, don't we? We have a deep longing for something that's of meaning outside and beyond ourselves. We, we have this deep-seated longing for purpose and meaning. Now, here's the problem that we face, though. We all have this longing, but we distort it. And the way that we distort this longing for purpose and meaning is that we all create our own purpose and meaning apart from God. And the major thing I want to discuss and reveal to us this morning is that when we look at our lives and when we examine our lives, one thing we have to come to terms with is everything that we are living for that doesn't have to do with the kingdom of God becomes meaningless. Does that make sense? And the reason I can say that is because the only thing that is eternal, the only thing that lasts into eternity from this life are things that we work towards that actually have a meaning that lasts for eternity. And the only thing is the kingdom of God and the purposes of God that last into eternity. And, and this is a, a, a philosophical thing that so many philosophers have been wrestling with and dealing with. And, and from an atheistic perspective, we realize that apart from God, life is absolutely meaningless. And I, I want to bring up a couple examples just to frame this for us. But I, I want to bring up a guy named Thomas Nagelas first. He's an atheist philosopher. And he's examining these questions of meaning and purpose and how do we discover it as humans. And he says this, he says, Even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed and after all you've gone out of existed, it won't matter that you did exist. Pretty uh, uplifting, right? If one's life is supposed to have a point as part of something larger, it's always possible to ask, what's the point of that? And, and what Nagel does in his argument, he basically says, okay, you tell me that uh, your purpose is found in your vocation, in your work. Okay, well, what's the purpose and point of your work? 
Well, for most of us, it's simply to to make money, to earn a living. There might be some fulfillment in it. And he says, well, why make money? He says, what's the point of that? Why do you make money? Well, to survive. Well, what's the point of survival? Are you not going to die anyway? Is anyone here not going to die? So is anyone really good at survival here? No. And so he says, logically, you can just keep asking that question over and over and over again. What's the point of that? What's the point of that? And he says, logically, it will always lead to absurdity. It will always lead to meaninglessness. Because one day, we will all cease to exist from an atheistic perspective, and everything you did will mean nothing. And so what he's really revealing to us is, especially from a Christian worldview, and I'll get to this later, but when we look at life apart from God, the only option is absurdity and meaninglessness. That's it. So Nagel's conclusion then is obviously that life has no objective meaning and there is no reason to think that we can even give it meaning at all. Now, let me go to the next philosopher. He's a French philosopher. His name's Albert Camus. And I put up this picture to give a visualization because Camus sort of gives this concept that he brings before us. And he says, if you're on trial and you know that you are facing the death penalty, in other words, you know that you are going to be killed and you have 30 minutes before they execute the death penalty on you. And they say, well, we're going to give you 30 minutes to have a nice time and space to enjoy your favorite band, listen to your favorite music, do whatever would be fulfilling in this time to sort of ease the pain of going into death. And he says, can anyone actually enjoy the music that they're listening to when they know they're going to die in 30 minutes? <laughs> he says, no, it's impossible. It doesn't make sense. And, and then he says, you can't enjoy that last half hour of music because in the end of the day, you know you're going to die. That it will mean nothing anyway. And then he says this. He says, we look at life in the same capacity. In other words, that when we look at the reality of death before us and we look at the reality that time is constantly moving forward, that we have absolutely no hope to actually find true fulfillment or satisfaction in this life because we know that life is ending and there's nothing greater beyond us. And so the reality that we're all going to die basically ruins our life and our existence. And so, who cares how many people you help? Who cares what you do for creation? Who cares how many people you educate? Who cares how much love you show and how nice and how moralistic you are? If you don't believe in God, there is nothing logically to base meaning in life upon. And so, when we talk about a life without God, atheist philosophy is so right, is it not? It's so accurate. We, we sense that. We, we know that, again, existentially. And so the question for us is the church, then, if this is where that path goes down, 
where do we walk as a path of followers of Jesus, as theists who, who know that there is a God out there who gives us purpose and meaning? Now, here's what I often find fascinating and as a struggle for us as the people of God. We can so often in our lives say we believe in God, and yet we live for all the things that are disconnected from the purposes of God, aren't we? We live very much sense as a practical atheist where all the things that we're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in are all these things that have nothing to do with eternity, that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, that have nothing to do with the plans and purposes of God that will last into eternity. Therefore, so much of what we can live for here and now actually by implication are meaningless. And so how do we move beyond this? How do, we, how do we get captive to the purposes to which we are being called to in the kingdom of God? Well, I want to bring up a couple verses quickly just to remind us of the last couple sermons. Then we're going to jump into John 6. But if we remember, we talked about um, this purpose. Oh, where are my verses there? There we go. John 17, 18. Jesus says this, he says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is another way of Jesus saying, just as I have had a mission to bring redemption and salvation and restoration to the world, I am sending the people of God, the church, on that same mission. That's Jesus' way of saying this. And this is Paul's way of framing that mission. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I, what? Receive. That's a key word. That I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, everything that I think I should be living for and creating meaning and significance and purpose behind, I say, he, Paul says, that's of no value. Why is it of no value? Because it means nothing, right? There's no value to it. There's no purpose behind it. There's no meaning behind it. Therefore, I'm going to focus my entire life, everything about me, to the purpose and meaning that I have received from God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is what lasts into eternity, and that is the greatest purpose behind my life. And, and what Jesus reminds us and what Paul reminds us is that the only way we can find meaning in this life is to actually follow the purposes to which God has given us. And the beautiful thing is that God is at work in this world, amen? And he is calling us and inviting us to be part of that mission with him. And so, again, the kingdom of God is all that lasts, and everything we do apart from it will ultimately become meaningless. So, here's the good news then. Jesus says this in, in John chapter 6. I want to hang out here for a little bit. I find this an incredibly powerful, it's a very brief statement, but it's an incredibly incredibly powerful thing that happens in this context. Because Jesus has, has just done a bunch of miracles in John chapter 6. He, he's performed um, these loaves and fish being multiplied to feed so many people. And then after those uh, miracles, Jesus starts to teach something 
that the disciples are really going to push back. And it actually tells us in the text that they are going to be offended by this. And the first thing that Jesus begins to do uh, right before this passage, and Jesus begins to teach that I am the bread of life. Now, do we need bread and uh, food to survive? Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, the, the source of life itself is in me. Um, there, there is no life apart from me. And, and he says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever in, in verse uh, 58. Now, this is what happens. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. No one can listen to it. No one can understand it to it. And they began to grumble at it, and they were grumbling to Jesus to the point that Jesus says to them, do you take offense at this? Now, why would they take offense here? Why are they offended by Jesus' teaching here? Well, the answer comes in 63 and on. They're offended because Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives what? Life. The flesh is what? No help at all. Now, what's Jesus teaching them that they're getting offended by? Well, what, they're te- what Jesus is teaching them is that it's the Spirit of God. It is life in the Spirit where you actually find abundance of life and what life is all about and the very purposes of life. And then he says, but if you live in the flesh... In other words, if you live for your own desires, your own purposes, in your own meaning, in your own sinfulness, he says, that means nothing at all. This is why they're offended. Because everything they had been living for was being challenged. Everything that they were living for and wanted to strive for is being challenged. See, the the crowds of people here, and even the disciples themselves, they, they love Jesus. They're, they're, they're curious about Jesus. They're, they're crowding around Jesus to know what's going on. And they love his teachings and they love his miracles and his healings. And they love that they're being fed by him. And they're thinking, oh, if Jesus keeps doing this, then we're guaranteed a life of security and provision and health and all these exciting things. And yet what we see after Jesus says this is complete abandonment. See, verse 66, just a few verses later, says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and what? No longer walked with him. Why do we see such a turn in the narrative here? Why do we see people flocking to Jesus and fascinated with Jesus and, and, and crowding around Jesus and a, suddenly you have this drastic turning point where now we see his disciples, many of the disciples, turn against him and walk away from him. And, and one of the major reasons is, is because everything that they were offended by is Jesus challenging them that everything that they had chased in life, everything that they were living for, all the success, all the happiness, all the pleasure, all the health, all the stability, everything they've done in their own power or in their own ways, Jesus says this actually counts 
for nothing. Now, imagine someone came up to you maybe after a hard work day or a long day or a long month and they simply came to you and said, do you know that nothing you're doing matters? (laughs) Who here would be a little offended by that, right? What are you talking about? I've been working so hard. I've been doing all these things. They're accomplishing something. They're good things. And someone comes to you and says, no, none of that matters. Would you be a little offended too? Right? And, and so this is the circumstance that we're stepping in here. It is This is the sad part of what discipleship looks like. As soon as Jesus challenges us on our, the things that we live for and the meaning and purpose that we try to create, so often we just get offended by Jesus and keep living for these things. And in many senses, what we've done, even though we can give lip service to following Jesus, in reality, the way we walk in our life is the opposite direction. See, I, I remember hearing someone who is facing health complications in life and it looked like um, what they were facing was terminal, and it looked like they were going to be ending life very shortly, and they began to process and have a conversation with God, and they began to say to God, like, God, I'm ready to die for you. Just help me die well. I want to be a good, good example of what death looks like for my family and my children. Just reveal that to me and help me in it. And later on, after a few months Um, Some of those thoughts of the terminal illness began to dissipate. The person began healthy. And then the conversation with God turned. And the conversation with God turned in this sense. The the next conversation he had was, was this concept of God asking him, you asked me to help you in your death, but you have not asked me to help you in your life. Right? Anyone else resonate with that? Whereas this is what practical atheism looks like. This this is what, when we think we have our life together and we understand how to live it and we, we can fix all our own problems and we can create our own meaning and purpose and we do all these things that are good, um, God comes to us and says, wait a second, how are you fulfilling my purposes and plans for your life? What is this calling that I have given you that you are forgetting? And and so if if there's a major point I could bring up just out of all this conversation, I think one thing we have to realize is that life is not about finding our purpose. And is that not the most countercultural statement you've ever heard? (laughs) Our entire culture is based on teaching people to seek and find their own purpose and meaning and value and all these things. And we encourage people and we just throw them into the deep end and say, figure it out. And yet, why why do you think there's so much depression and despair in our culture? Why? Because we throw all these youth and young adults in the deep end and we say, go find your meaning and purpose and value. And, And what do they get to experience? Atheism, which says, there's no meaning to your life. If you have to create meaning, there is no meaning. And so this is where the the beautiful reality of the gospel comes to really offer us 
Not only a life of value, of being welcomed as a family of God, but this value actually comes from the meaning and purpose that we have to live the the life for God. And so, life is not about finding a purpose, it's about fulfilling the purposes of God, right? What What did Paul say in his language in Acts? That what happened with the, the calling that God, he, he did what with it? He received it. He received it. In other words, he wasn't seeking after it. He, he didn't make it. He didn't create it. This is something he received from God. It's about fulfilling the purposes of God. And, and so as we, we have this discussion of what it means to be restored and to be people of restoration... When we look at our own lives and and how we find restoration with self, so much of it is based around this reality that ultimately the only meaning and purpose we could ever have in this life is found in the purposes of God. That is what lasts for eternity. That is the only thing that will last for eternity. And everything else you've pursued in this life will become meaningless. It will become uh, vanity. It won't matter at all. But thankfully, we have a God who can even take some of the things that we have done and restore them for good and restore them for his purposes and restore them so that we ourselves can find the meaning and dignity, and value, and purpose that we so desperately long for. And so my, my encouragement for us is to really examine what happens here in John 6. Because so often this is, this is such an attractive offer from Jesus when he says, you know what, I will give you abundance of life. I will give you the meaning and purpose that you're longing for. And yet, what do we do? We say, no, what I've created will sustain me. What I've created will offer fulfillment. What I've created will give me some sense of happiness. But in reality, what's, what's that doing? Nothing. And it's doing the very thing that Albert Camus warned against. He says, sure, you might be able to listen to some good music in the last 30 minutes of your life, But in reality, the the looming death before you awaits. And as much as a little enjoyment here and now, it's not going to make a difference. And it's not going to prepare you for what's next. Where God has given us that purpose in and of himself. And so let let me pray to us, for us, to that extent. Gracious Father, first of all, we come in confession. We come in confession that so much of what we pursue in this life really doesn't matter. And as much as we try to make it matter, as significant as we try to make it seem, Lord, we realize that it's Only what's done for your purposes will last into eternity. And so we pray that we would be a people who are not going around in this life trying to find purpose, but that you would be a God who infuses our life with meaning and purpose. 
And Lord, the callings you have placed upon us is, is so much greater than we could ever ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we know that you have called us all in this room and online to, to so many different capacities in this life. You have called us to so many different vocations. You've called us to so many different relationships. You've called us to so many skill sets and desires and passions and giftings. And Lord, we, we just pray that all those things would be used for your glory and for your plans and your purposes and the future that you've laid before us. Because we know that so much of what we live for is distinctly apart from it. And so, Lord, we continually need confession in our life because we so easily fall into the temptation that the disciples in John 6 fell into, that as they saw the path that you were walking, they wanted no part of it. And yet, you have something so much greater to offer us. And so I pray that we would submit our lives to you in every form, in every fashion, in every detail, in every decision, so that everything we do, we could answer, what is the purpose of this? And we could say, this is for the purposes of God, which last into eternity. So whether it's our jobs and the way that we help others, the way that we speak to others, the way we talk about others, the things that we do, Lord, just infuse our lives with meaning, we pray. We just thank you that you have given this gift to us and we celebrate what you have done for us. Lord, may we advance your mission as we seek after your purposes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.